Help us to receive those words. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading today is taken from John 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he doubted them and said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Amen. Thanks, Bella. I need that slightly higher than she does. (laughs) I love John's Gospel. I love the epic opening. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Epic. I'm dying to give that talk at St. John's one day. I love the way John's Gospel is structured the way that the themes flow through it and build up. And like all great narratives, it should have an epic conclusion that tie together all of the ideas and the themes and that tie up all of the loose ends. And here we are. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. And the disciples are hiding behind locked doors in doubt and fear. It may sound odd, but this was, without doubt, the hardest talk I have ever had to write. It took me a long time to realize that I had never really got this passage. 
at all. To be honest, John's gospel is so epic that this always felt like a bit of a disappointing ending. It seems like the final firework fizzles out rather than going off with a bang. But I had utterly, utterly missed the point. The most epic words of the most epic book about the most epic story ever told are right here, right in front of us. Peace be with you. Jesus, the Messiah, the risen Son of the Almighty God, says to you, peace be with you. This is the ending he has chosen. This is the culmination of John's gospel. This is the culmination of the entire Bible. This is the culmination of all of human history. The living God reaching out to his unfaithful people and saying, now you can have peace. And Jesus is not just bandying around the word peace like we do. He is not talking about peace as the absence of conflicts. When Jesus talks about peace, he is talking about shalom. Shalom, the Hebrew word encompassing the restoration of all things. The world being put back the way God intended. He is talking about all wrongs being made right, about healing for all hurting, justice for all the injustice. And Jesus' shalom isn't just about human beings. Shalom is about all of creation. It is all God has made being made right again. It is complete restoration for all of creation. Now, I can offer you shalom, and it doesn't mean a thing. I can say to you, peace be with you, and it is nothing more than a meaningless platitude. Meaningless because I am powerless to provide the peace I espouse. The importance is not on what is being said here, but in who says it. In fact, back in John 14, Jesus had already offered his peace to the disciples. He said then, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And clearly that was really effective because here they are hiding, terrified behind closed doors. Clearly Jesus' earlier proclamation of peace was as effective as if I had said it. What is different this time? Well, when Jesus died, the disciples' hope had died with him. With Jesus in the grave, their dreams, their belief was dead and buried. Jesus had made the disciples the most unbelievably outrageous promises when he was alive. He promised to usher in the kingdom of God. 
He promised to tear down the temple and rebuild it three days later. He promised them that he would fulfill all of the Old Testament promises. And frankly, dead men don't do that. They had spent three years listening to these promises. They had dared to hope. And with Jesus on the cross, his promises were as broken as his body. With Jesus on the cross, Jesus in the grave cloth, Jesus in the ground, each and every one of his promises had melted away for them. And Jesus' earlier words of peace had gone with them. But, but, the resurrection changes everything. No wonder the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the risen Jesus, because not only was he back from the dead, he also brought with him all of their hopes and their dreams. With him, he not only brought back all of those unbelievably outrageous promises, he also brought with him the proof that he could be trusted to fulfill them. Lying in the grave, Jesus was a liar. But standing before them, in that room, the resurrected Lord Jesus uh, showed that when he vindicated himself, that he was speaking the truth all along. The resurrection that says that when Jesus says everlasting, that is precisely what he means. The resurrection says that death the curtailer of every hope and dream, cannot curtail the hope he offers. It is in the resurrection, and only in the resurrection, that Jesus' peace is more than a meaningless platitude. When Jesus speaks of shalom, He is the only one who is able to fulfill that promise. He is the only one powerful enough to make all things new. But let's just take another look at Jesus' words. Jesus does not say, peace will be with you. No, Jesus offers peace in the present tense. Jesus' shalom is not for just for that bright and glorious day when he returns and makes all things new. When Jesus says, peace be with you, he offers peace for the here and now. When Jesus returns, his shalom will put an end to all troubles. But we know from hard experience that there are troubles enough today. So what and where is this peace that Jesus speaks of? I have heard people talking about peace as though it's a feeling. But frankly, that is just fluffy nonsense. 
I had slightly more colorful language to describe what the kind of nonsense that it is, but my wife informed me that it was inappropriate in a sermon. You have probably heard people talking about peace as though it is a feeling. You know how it goes. You're losing your job, or your child is incredibly sick, or you've just been diagnosed with an incurable disease. You are understandably feeling incredibly anxious. So you should pray until a warm, fuzzy, relaxed feeling of the peace that passes all understanding comes over you. You know, like a warm blanket of calmness and serenity. Oh, you're still feeling anxious. Oh, um, you, you, you still don't feel it. Well, pray harder. Pray better. Pray more. Absolute fluffy nonsense. If you do feel God's peace when you pray, that is fantastic, and I am absolutely not saying that you are wrong. But when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, on the night before his crucifixion, the last thing Jesus felt was peace. He was in deep, soul-suffocating anxiety. He was in deep, soul-suffocating anguish about what he would face on that Good Friday. He was in such distress over facing the wrath of God for the sins of all mankind that he sweated bloods. He cries out repeatedly for God to find another way. Where was his serenity? When Jesus is dying on the cross and he shouts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where was his sense of inner calm and peace? Where was Paul's peace in 2 Corinthians when he talks of his anxiety for the churches? Where was David's peace in Psalm 22 when he cries out, Why are you so far from saving me? My God, I cry out by day and you do not answer, and by night but I feel no rest. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart, and yet these are not the words of a calm, zen-infused man who is experiencing a feeling of peace. No, peace is not defined by feelings. The peace Jesus offers today is the unshakable confidence that no matter what circumstances we encounter, God is faithful. God is good. God will keep you. God will provide for you. And God will bless you. It is the hope that looks past circumstances to the God who works all things for your good and for his glory. A sure and certain hope that doesn't rely on feelings, but relies entirely on God's unbreakable promises. As Jesus stumbled, bloody and broken to Golgotha, he was most certainly in deep distress in every sense of the words. 
but he was also confident in the supreme sovereignty of his father. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had great and glorious things in store for him. As Paul lay in the dirt, bleeding and concussed from being stoned by his enemies, he remained confident that God was for him. As he lay there, being afflicted, crushed, persecuted, and struck down, he remained confident that God's grace was sufficient for him. When we, like David, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not work up a feeling of peace by mantras, mindfulness, or meditation. No, our peace is the presence of the Lord who never leaves us, who never gives up, who never lets go. Like David, our peace is the one whose goodness and love follows us all the days of our life. Like David, our peace is the sure and certain hope in him whose house we will dwell in forever. And it is because of the resurrection, and only because of the resurrection, that we can have this peace, this confidence, this sure and certain hope. In the resurrection, God has shown himself to be faithful to every one of his promises in every way. In the resurrection, God has shown himself to be willing and able to keep his word in the face of the gravest obstacles. Without the resurrection, there is no peace. For how can we have confidence in a God who fails? Without the resurrection, there is no peace. For how can we know that we have forgiveness? How can we know that we have a sure and certain future? Our forgiveness may have been purchased in his blood on the cross. But it is in the resurrection, in the resurrection, that we have the proof of purchase. It is in the resurrection that we have the receipt for our redemption. And yet, and yet, here are the disciples one week on. One week on since Jesus appeared in the room and said to them, minus Thomas, this is the shalom I have brought you. This is the peace that you can know. This is the proof that of the most unbelievably outrageous uh, thing that you could ever imagine. And yet, one week on, they are still locked in the room. Before I start to sound too critical of the disciples, here we are, one week on from Easter, one week on since Jesus said to me, he said to you, this is the shalom I am offering. This is the peace that you can know. This is the most unbelievably outrageous good news that you could possibly imagine. And I suspect that many, if not all of us, 
are still living the same lives as we were before Easter. What does the resurrection mean for today? Literally today. What does the resurrection mean for today? What does the resurrection mean for the cancer sufferer today? What does the resurrection mean for homelessness today? What does the resurrection mean for the victim of domestic violence who faces the same abuse tomorrow as they do today, as they did yesterday? What does the resurrection mean to the person who is praying constantly and neither feels God's peace nor sees any change in their lives? Who, like David, is saying, My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer me, and by night, but I find no rest. I want to believe that Jesus' resurrection offers peace. But I see wars everywhere. I see maps like this. And I know that the number of deaths pales in, in, to insignificance in comparison to the number of lives that have been completely destroyed. I want to believe that Jesus' resurrection offers peace. But I see communities in conflicts. I see fragmented and fractured families. I see relationships in ruins. I want to believe that Jesus' resurrection overcomes death, but I still cry when a relative dies. I still feel that gut punch when I <clears throat> learn that a friend is critically ill or has attempted suicide. I want to believe that Jesus' resurrection brings justice, but I still see miscarriages of justice. I still see corrupt politicians serving only their own uh, themselves. I still see companies putting profits before people, profits before the planets. I want to believe that the resurrection brings change, but I see no difference in my life compared to the week before last. We live in a sinful, war-torn, corrupt, unjust, and broken world in which troubles are the norm. We live amidst a tsunami of suffering where if you look too long or too deep, you become overwhelmed. You get swallowed up in, by grief, fear, and doubts. So we, just like the disciples, <coughs> decide, uh, respond to all this fear and doubt and death and disappointment by locking ourselves into our rooms, literally and figuratively. We think peace will come by being alone. We think peace will come by eating junk food, or at the bottom of a bottle, or in sex, or by buying that thing that is advertised as bringing peace, and the next thing, and the thing after that. Or, in, or we binge watch box sets, because at least we know that in those, 
Uh, justice will be served. Love will win out in the end. The hero will have their happy ending. We long for that great and glorious day when uh, Jesus brings his shalom, when all of this madness stops, when we see justice served, when we see love win out over hate, where we see our happy ending. We long for that great and glorious future, but what does the resurrection mean for today? It is crass, verging on cruel, to suggest that the resurrection renders our current worries irrelevant. We in no way say that shalom will make everything all right now, though it certainly will make everything right on that great and glorious final day. The resurrection doesn't take away the pain of our suffering. The resurrection doesn't remove the challenge of our trials. The resurrection doesn't stop our frustration and anger at the troubles that we see. And nor should it. The resurrection is the comfort and certainty that all will be righted. And Jesus wants us to go out and take that comfort and take that certainty into an uncertain and uncomforted world. In verse 21, Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus sends us, proclaiming peace, in his power, until that bright and glorious day when he returns making all things new and bringing in his perfect, never-ending shalom. Jesus does not want his church in a closed room. He does not want his church behind a locked door. He wants us to take that peace out into the world. Jesus does not want peacekeeping troops in this troubled world. He wants peace bringers and peacemakers. Why does the world need the church? Because despite our constant efforts and examples to the contrary, we, the church, possess the power to bring peace. Peace the way that Jesus brings it. Peace, not through domination, but through submission. Peace, not through winning, but through forgiving. Peace, not through force, but through service. Until that final day, the resurrection does not end wars. It reveals the sanctity and dignity of life so that we might speak up for freedom, justice, and peace. Until that final day, the resurrection does not end injustice. It is the compassion behind the tears that we weep and the prayers that we offer for the victims of injustice, uh, oppression and fear. It is the battle cry to open the door and do something about it. 
The resurrection does not magically fix relationships. It is the proof for how much our God, uh, for what our God thinks of relationships and the length that he went to. It supplies the strength and the perseverance for us to work towards uh, resolving conflict and reconciling relationships. It is the power by which we can love our neighbors as ourselves. The resurrection does not eliminate the pain or tears over the death of a loved one, but it allows us to hold them in one hand, whilst with the other hand we hold on firmly to that short and steadfast promise that on that great and glorious final day we will be reunited with them. Jesus says to you this morning, as he said to the disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The disciples' story does not end in that locked room. But with Andrew traveling through Ukraine, with Thomas in India, with James in Syria, with Simon the Zealot in Iran, with Bartholomew in the Arabian Peninsula, and with Matthew in Ethiopia. I hadn't spoken to James this morning about the prayers, but just the fact that that list, yeah, it says that there was something um, going on there. The disciples do not finish in that locked room and how those places could do with hearing the gospel of peace this morning. We may or may not be called to to bring the peace to all of those places, but we are called to preach peace into healing, to preach the resurrection into healing, to preach Jesus' shalom into healing. Ealing. So go out after the service this morning and take the peace of Christ into every corner of your life. It may be that we are called to speak boldly or to take bold action against corruption, exploitation, injustice, and inequality. Or it may be something as simple as uh, the difference between a conversation into how awful everything is and leaving it there, or the conversation about how awful everything is and offering the hope of the resurrection, the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. Whatever it is that you are being called to do this week, in whatever opportunity you are given, go out in the peace of Christ. Do not be controlled by fear, but go out in the unshakable confidence proven by the resurrection that God is faithful, God is good, God will provide for you, God will keep you, and God will bless you. Does Jesus' final firework fizzle out? Far from it. No, 
It goes off with a bang that speaks as loudly today as it did 2,000 years ago. A bang that says to each and every one of us this morning, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Peace be with you.